0: Welcome to the Yoga Teacher Circle podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Ray, Yoga teacher, you are needed now more than ever, and your unique voice, message, and offering needs to be shared with the world. In this podcast, we'll talk about all things related to teaching yoga to help you thrive doing what you love most, teaching yoga. So let's dive in. such an important conversation for teachers to have an awareness around as well because as teachers we're gonna have students and clients that show up in some capacity of a brain injury I've had so many over the years and now having more awareness and education around it is really helpful to create a safe space for them so thank you everyone for joining us today. This is Mallory Fox. I met Mallory over two years ago. Yeah, over two years ago at a surprise Lululemon desert lunch picnic event. So that's where we met and it was a really fun day and a lot has happened since then for, for you, for me. I know we both have had A crazy last couple of years. And I am just so happy to have you here as a guest today, Mallory. You're just one of the sweetest, most kind, loving, compassionate people. And I always have felt that way about you. Thank you. You, Yeah, of course. The work you do in the world is so important and so powerful. I know that you're not only like a yoga instructor, you are a mindful movement educator and you teach about living yoga and living and breathing mindfulness and you help people heal from a lot, a lot, a lot. And I know you're going to go into that today, but especially chronic pain and injuries. I was just looking at your Instagram and I love how your bio says, Mm -hmm. I wrote it down right here. I teach you how to keep going after setbacks. I love that. And that's beautiful. And I know you're going to be sharing your own mm-hmm. personal setback that you've experienced. I'm going to pass it over to you. I'd love for you to just introduce yourself um, what you do. And then let's just dive right into your personal story. I know that you are healing your own traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. So, I Yeah, thank you again for being here.
1: Well, thank you so much for this space and for that beautiful introduction. Like my heart is just so full right now. Um, yeah, so I'm just gonna take a moment and be with that. <laughs> yeah, <please do. laughs> thank you. Yeah, the bio, you know, it's something that has really grown for me out of the last two years, who I was when we met, you know, in March of two or three years ago is not who I am today. And yoga has been a huge part of that journey. But to catch people up who, you know, don't know my backstory, I've always been a very type A goal getter, very driven. I've been in the health and fitness industry for about 15 years. And um, started as a personal trainer, and I loved to fix people. Um, I believed that there's a whole lot of science to back up how to help people lose weight, how to, you know bounce right back. I would just live my life was like, bound and determined to make people do that. <laughs> yeah. And that um, brought me a lot of professional success. And when I experienced my injury, I expected to be able to fix myself that way, too. You know, I love checklists. I love, you know, having a guide and a plan. And my thing had always been, we're going to figure this out and fix it. You know, maybe people listening to this have experienced it before when that doesn't work, when that all goes wrong. And that's definitely the point that I got to, which has led me to where I am today.
0: You were already in the world of mindfulness, of yoga, of movements, mm-hmm. helping clients heal from their own trauma in different forms. Mm-hmm. And then you experienced your own traumatic brain injury, which was how long ago? And do you, can you share a little bit about what happened?
1: Sure. It was just under two years ago. It'll be okay. two years next month. And my relationship with yoga and mindfulness before my injury was a very resistant one. I knew it was good for me and, and I hated it. <laughs> yeah. <That makes> <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm really open about that because, you know, my, my mantra was do, do, do. You know, I would lie in Shavasana. Literally my mind would just keep going and I'd be yeah. like, I have 6,000 things to do today. This is wasting time, but I knew it was beneficial for me. So I really yeah. struggled with mindfulness and yoga and taking rest and taking time mm-hmm. just to, sum up what happened. Um, I was driving to work. I taught yoga at my husband's Air National Guard Base, and I was on my way to work, stopped at a light. I looked in my rear view and saw an SUV coming right at me really fast. The driver wasn't looking at the road. In that split second, I just reacted. You know, I turned my body to the left, trying to get my car into the open lane next to me. And I remember hitting the steering wheel and thinking... I don't have time for this today. It wasn't on my to-do list to get into an, um, an auto accident. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> so I was really focused, you know, at the scene of the accident just to get through that checklist of, you know, what needs to happen when you're in an accident, exchange insurance and all of that. It was later that day where I started to get a headache. Even from the time of the accident, I just felt kind of off, like shaken up. I knew that that was normal. I'd had a lot of adrenaline running through my body. You know, I had a minor headache, come on, but I wasn't bleeding or anything. I thought, I'll just take this afternoon and rest, you know, see how I feel tomorrow. Yeah. And then the next morning I woke up and I opened my eyes and I'll never forget how it felt. The room was spinning and I couldn't lift my head off the pillow. And I had this moment of like, is it okay if I cuss? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I thought, oh shit, <laughs> and so I arranged to see a doctor. I saw a physical therapist that day, you know, because you know I knew I'd hit my head. I knew, you know, I might have a concussion. I knew I'd have soft tissue damage from how hard everything hit, you know. But right on the offset, it was like, okay, typically two weeks for soft tissue injuries and and you know concussions to see like to feel better, to see results. And so I did what I was supposed to do. And then about two weeks in, we had Labor Day over that holiday. So that changed up a few things. About two weeks in, I was like, I am not only not okay, like I'm worse than I was two weeks ago. Yeah. And so that was scary. Ended up going to the emergency room and having all the scans and found out that I had a traumatic brain injury. Concussion is a mild TBI. And, you know, for most people, it's a 12-week recovery. And in some cases, which is what I ended up experiencing, it leads to something called post-concussion syndrome. So even to this day, I have a lot of issues with light sensitivity, sound, a little bit of delayed processing still. When things happen, like, you know, logging on and technology not working, I really have to take my time and breathe because my brain goes into panic mode as I'm sure many people can relate, you know, that's the opposite of what we need when we're trying to work out a problem. Along with that brain injury, I found out, Ah, uh, let's see, I'll back up. So October 31st, so about two months after my accident, you know, again, I was still in that phase where they're like, oh, yeah, your concussion should be healing, things should be getting better. Well, again, like things were progressively just getting worse,
0: Can I ask what kind of (laughs) symptoms were you experiencing when you were like, I am not okay, and this is just getting worse?
1: Yeah, uh, debilitating head pain. Like awful. I have a very high pain tolerance, and it was just completely debilitating. The day that I decided to go to the emergency room, my husband came home from work, and I was lying on the floor because my head hurt so bad. I just couldn't get up. I got really tired and dizzy and nauseous while I was trying to get ready for the day. And he found me there eight hours later. So it was that complete, utterly helpless. It was paralyzing. Paralyzing, yeah. And I had um, a lot of issues with memory and attention. I was 32 years old. I'd lived on my own since I was 18. I ran a business. I have a doctorate. All of these things like I'd never really had to think about whether I had shut the garage door or whether I had remembered to lock our front door. And I went to check the mail once. And when I came back, you know, our front door was open. These are things that are so basic to like everyday life. Like suddenly I wasn't able to do those things. I left a candle burning a couple times. Like things that were just really jarring. Like why, why am I suddenly not doing that? Other symptoms I had. So much dizziness, the nausea, and just disorientation, confusion. I had a lot of weakness in my legs and arms. I fell a couple of times. I had constant double vision, and it was very like unstable. So if I'm looking at, you know, this phone right now, the screen, it's obviously not moving, but my brain was telling me that it was moving. There were like two or three phones and they're moving closer to me and further away and Mm -hmm. side to side all at the same time. That's a lot. It was a lot. It was very disorienting. So
0: you've had to really like relearn. Do you feel like almost everything?
1: I had to relearn a a lot. So we found when the second time period had passed where I should have been better and I wasn't and I was again getting worse like the double vision was getting worse the memory issues were getting worse that's when I saw a neurooptometrist and found that my eye had moved in the crash oh and my brain had decided to shut my other eye off to you know try to help our brains are constantly adapting so I was testing legally blind in my left eye Yeah, I had 20-20 vision pre-accident. So I got that diagnosis and I was like, "Um, okay, what do I do with that? So I had to relearn. I've spent about a year, once a week, um, vision therapy, teaching my eye to move back down. So strengthening the little muscles around the eye and then reactivating my left eye. Mm -hmm. And so it was really reprogramming my brain through so many different challenges. Mm -hmm. And so... When I take a step back now, like two years later, and think about it, I'm like, well, of course, I was experiencing trouble with basic tasks, because my brain was literally trying to figure out how to see again, <laughs> and how to function. Um, but at the time, it was just really scary and really confusing. Yeah. I thought I was I thought I was going crazy. Yeah,
0: yeah, I had a private client over two years ago, who had a sudden surgery for a brain tumor. And she was our age, 30 years old and Mm -hmm. had emergency surgery and had a traumatic brain injury. And I started to work with her with yoga and meditation just about, I think it was like four to six months after her surgery, she had to relearn so much, you know, and I was able to help her through that process with mindfulness and Mm -hmm. balancing was challenging, you know, so I've seen uh, clients mm-hmm. through it as well. And I know how all of a sudden your life is just completely different. It's so different. The things that you used to be able to do, they don't come that way anymore. Things aren't as smooth or easy, it takes up so much more energy or even just the the grieving process. Actually, I'd like to talk about that a little bit. I can relate in my own personal injury that left me out of movement for a couple of years, the grieving what I love doing the most right and so can you share a little bit about what that was like for you of all of a sudden your life has changed and the things that you used to be able to do you can't do anymore and are you starting to shift back into them now
1: what's that mm-hmm. like for you well, first I'm so sorry to hear you know your accident that kept you out also appreciative to be able to share this space with you because you truly get it yeah and that's Part, a huge part of my grief process was that throughout this, you know, I didn't look like there was anything wrong with me. Yeah. There wasn't anything to tip people off in my own life that I wasn't myself anymore. And even for my husband, it's really hard. You can understand that something's going on. But then like when you're used to having used to being around someone and there's nothing like a cast on their arm or <laughs> a giant <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's an invisible (laughs) illness.
1: Yes. And that was a huge part of the grief process. And I even remember thinking at one point and was really ashamed of thinking this, but thinking like, I wish I had cancer because people understand what cancer is. (laughs) Whereas like with this, it was hard enough to grieve everything that I lost, let alone constantly kind of having to explain or or educate people about what was going on the rest of the grief process i would say i was really stuck in the denial part of grief for several months you know so i've i've worked with people who've had tbi i know a lot about it i studied it you know my before, I've been, before, before all of it. this okay. yeah yeah you know in my grad school work i studied brain injury i train a lot of athletes. There was also like this disconnect between that and me. (laughs) And part of the grief process for me was actually accepting that, okay, this is something I don't have control over. I have control over what I do. I don't have control over how long it takes me to recover. I don't have control over wealth again. So I spent a lot of time in denial that took me to a really, really bad place. Because I just kept thinking, I'm gonna do a, B, and C, I'm gonna be the perfect patient and I'm going to be myself again. I'm gonna be okay. like I'll wake up tomorrow and I'll be myself.
0: Do you feel like and you had, do you feel like you had an attachment to the outcome? Of- oh yeah yeah so you were attached yeah. to the outcome. Yeah the biggest practices in yoga right is non-attachment. And attachment can cause a lot of suffering. And I can relate in my own experience 100%.
1: So much because, and you know, I had a lot of attachment to like being being a health and fitness professional. (laughs) If I'm helping other people recover, how can I not help myself recover? So much attachment to the outcome and not the process. And really trying to just do it alone. I didn't let people in in the beginning because it was really exhausting to just survive. Whenever I would try to explain, it just took so much out of me that I very much isolated myself. I just didn't have the capacity to talk about what was going on. That was a huge part. I ended up starting therapy. I, you know, yeah, and that saved my life, honestly. Because I needed to learn how to grieve. And I realized I don't think I've ever actually fully grieved any loss. And then suddenly I'm grieving the loss of my career, the things I love. Your body, um, your mind. My body, (laughs) dinners out, like my ability to take care of myself. You know, all of these things all at once and wouldn't have gotten through it at all without therapy and then learning who the people were that I could let in, yeah, and, and opening up. Yeah, it's been therapy. a huge part of the grief process.
0: Absolutely, and therapy is so important
1: mm-hmm. in,
0: in healing anything, right? Um, being able to have a safe space and to talk and to go really deep and to unveil all the layers of pain and what's mm-hmm. underneath it all. There's just so many layers to it. Hey, yoga teacher. So we all know it's been a really chaotic, crazy, and challenging time for everyone. And the world needs you now more than ever. I'd love for you to join me in my upcoming online trauma-informed yoga teacher training, September 26th and 27th. I believe every yoga teacher should have an understanding of trauma and how it impacts the mind and body. Every single person has experienced some form of trauma in their life, which means your students show up to yoga knowingly or unknowingly with trauma, PTSD, and chronic stress. Understanding how to teach yoga with a trauma-informed lens can only help you better serve your students, your clients, and your community. This training is held online, which means you can join in from anywhere in the world from the comfort of your own home. Register and secure your spot on my website at taylorrayyoga.com. Now, back to the episode. You said that you isolated yourself and kind of mm-hmm. pushed people away. How else did it impact like the relationships in your life? And I know you were just recently married before mm-hmm. the injury happened how did it impact your relationship?
1: It was incredibly hard. You know, I know Brian would be okay with me talking about this. It's still really hard yeah. because you asked earlier about, you know, am I back to doing the things that I love and I'm not, you know, we, and we have this ongoing conversation pre-injury. I worked 50 some hours a week We traveled constantly. You know, I volunteered with a bunch of different organizations. And, you know, right now I'm at about maybe 30 or 40 percent capacity for those things for me to have a really good quality of life. Um, My brain just gets really tired. And there's some things like even a downward facing dog. If I invert for even a few breaths, I'll have headache come on or, you know, other symptoms. And so, you know, I have to make that decision, that call. So it was very hard on, on our relationship. And I, you know, can't even imagine how hard it's been on Brian to see all of this and not have the ability to fix it or really do much. Again, the fact that it's an invisible injury, you know, there were times, especially early on where he was used to me being a really high-functioning, fast-paced person suddenly he would ask me a question and I didn't know I was doing this and this is actually really common with brain injury I would just look at him and not say anything
0: mm.
1: <laughs> and he comes from military and law enforcement background like he's used to things being pretty you know organized you know succinct and so he couldn't understand why I was just looking at him and not answering mm. and so he'd say what <laughs> and And then I'd freeze even more, because my brain just wasn't processing
0: yeah
1: what helped him quite a bit was at one point, the neurooptometrist mentioned that my brain was processing at the speed of a kindergartner, Wow, and so that really seemed to help him put it in perspective because again, you know I'm his thirty two year old wife who he's known for you know, two and a half years or three years. And, you know, suddenly he even said, so I need to remember, I'm like talking to a five-year-old. And yeah. I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Once I was able to work through my grief, that actually created the space because um, he's grieving too, of course. for him to be able to, you know, have an outlet for his grief too. You know, we both have therapists were in couples therapy too neither one of us had ever done therapy before this Mm -hmm. and yeah you know it's been a huge journey of being open to to change yeah
0: shifting and adapting and in the end too you know i i go to couples therapy too right and i know Mm -hmm. that it's like so good Mm -hmm. and creates such a deep
1: connection
0: through the mess. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing that being able to look toward is so helpful because when you're stuck in it, (laughs) it's really rough. Yeah.
0: (laughs) How about relationships like friendships outside Mm -hmm. of you and Brian Because it sounds like you're really social before and you were going out with friends, dinners, coffees. And how is that for you in the last couple of years?
1: You know, it's, that's been another part of the grief process. People that I was around every single day and very friendly with, I haven't talked to in months. Yeah, I had lost a lot of friends. And of my closest friends, there was a group of four of us, um, I don't even speak to two of them anymore. You know, it's, I try to remember too, like I changed, I changed like our relationship, that relationship didn't work for people anymore. And so like, you know, it's, it's part of that grief process too. That said, I have met so many and connected with so many incredible people since. So my circle is very different. I've met and become close to Five or six women who have also had a TBI and really get it. So, where I might have, you know, gone to happy hour two years ago every weekend, now it's once a month doing a coffee date with the dogs (laughs) in a quiet place. Yeah. So, it's really just transforming the activities. And I have a couple of incredible friends, my friend Rebecca, who has adapted with me. I don't think I mentioned this yet. So, I couldn't drive for like six months.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Because I was, you know, blind and disoriented and (laughs) Yeah. yeah, all of that. And she really stepped up offering to drive me to this day. She'll still offer to come pick me up because she knows that driving is still like if I'm, if I have a migraine, driving isn't necessarily safe or, you know, tire me out. So the way that she and other people, my friend Leanne, have been able to step up and grow and understand and learn has been just so incredibly important. So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I'm like, I teared up.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, it's Mm -hmm. interesting, too, because just throughout challenging times in our lives. It does shift and adapt the people that we're surrounded by and some friendships go and we create new ones Mm -hmm. that are meant to be there at that time to help support you through it and you grow together. So it's really beautiful. So I know that you like to talk science. (laughs)
1: and
0: And since this is for yoga teachers, let's get a little bit scientific and educational and nerdy for a minute. What exactly defines, and I know there's just so many layers and types of a traumatic brain injury, but what's Mm -hmm. the definition of a traumatic brain injury?
1: That's such a good question. And I'm going to try to, it's harder for me to nerd out (laughs) just to be completely honest um, right now, but I'm going to try to, you know, to say this well, really a traumatic brain injury is one that it's not acquired. So someone isn't born with it. It occurs from an event. So a car accident, an athlete getting hit on the head with the soccer ball too many times. Um, There's a traumatic event that causes the injury. They range from mild to medium to severe. I think severe is what most people think about when they hear traumatic brain injury. That's generally when someone is in a coma. Their entire body has to shut down essentially so that the brain can heal. Um, and mild traumatic brain injury is very common. There's, I believe it's about every eight seconds someone is having a traumatic brain injury. Wow. Yeah.
0: My partner, Tommy has a mild concussion that he's healing right now that he got Mm. about a month ago. I've seen him through like everything that you've shared about yourself. I can relate to his scenario Mm. in a really mild version Mm-hmm. so it's interesting and I wonder how all of them are challenging and when someone has a mild one it's like that challenge of you know I feel like I'm normal but not so how can I go out and do these things but also wait a minute it doesn't feel right so they're kind of finding this rhythm of what they can and can't do yet
1: so mm-hmm. that's an interesting thing to witness it really is and and every concussion is different yeah. and every every person's healing is different too And even today, you know, there's some days where I can do something, no problem, and then the next day struggle with it. So it really is a very up and down having to practice mindfulness and stay in the awareness of the presence is so incredibly important
0: that's a great segue into that conversation mm-hmm. now is how has talking about yourself and others how has yoga and mindfulness helped you in the recovery
1: process um so much if i had to say two things that have gotten me through this it's therapy and mindfulness for months when i i spent a lot of time lying down after this, because whenever I would try to move, the whole world would move. And, you know, I fell and some other things. So I spent a lot of time lying down. When I was doing that, you know, again, I had a migraine that started, you know, the day after the accident, and I had it every day for 10 months. So especially in that time, the only thing that brought me any I can't even say relief from the pain, but it distracted me from the pain was breathing. So I did, I want to say I did like 10,000 minutes on Headspace in Mm, (laughs) just a couple of months because it was all I could do. I couldn't Uh go for a run or do yoga. It was I couldn't even listen to like a podcast because of noise. So the only tool that I had was connecting to my breath. And before that, you know, I don't think I'd even meditated other than at yoga teacher programs. If I'm being really honest, (laughs) that was huge. Um, And then it became part of like a daily practice where you know, we talked about how it varies so much day to day with concussion healing. And so I would wake up in the morning and do a body scan and essentially figure out what do I need to give myself today? Especially in the first six to nine months, I was this list a mile long of things that I wanted to do and felt like I could do because I was at home and off work (laughs) And so it was using mindfulness to help me prioritize. And also, when I would push myself through something, I would end up having negative effects for days, um, sometimes even weeks. So mindfulness has been the biggest tool to monitor as I go.
0: Yeah, no, thanks for sharing and being honest about how challenging meditation was prior, which is not just you, right? As I train and teach so many students and yoga teachers, Mm -hmm. it's the most common thing I see and hear is just how challenging Mm -hmm. it is to lay still in Shavasana and to sit and meditate. It's the hardest part of the yoga practice. Would you say that now you've actually gained a gift of being more aware of your body Like your inner awareness has grown and shifted since then. Would you say that that's happened?
1: It definitely has. Yeah, Yeah. it's definitely helped me to um, be more empathetic to others, to be more empathetic to myself. I lived a lot of my life on autopilot Mm pre-injury because, you know, people would ask me to do things and I'd say, okay, sure you know, I'm good at that. I can do that. It's not a big deal. And now I weigh every single thing, you know, even when you message me about this Mm -hmm. opportunity, Mm -hmm. you know, really taking the time to look at my schedule and decide, am I going to say, is it like a, yes, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, then I turn a lot of things down because, Mm -hmm. I have to <laughs> of course. you continue to, um, to check in and use mindfulness.
0: Yeah, and protect your energy. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, I have a motto, too, that I'm about to cuss as well, right? If it's not a <laughs> fuck yes, it's a
1: fuck no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I so, love that.
0: Yeah, that's kind <laughs> of like my inner guide.
1: <laughs> I love that. And, like, yes, that's something I had to learn. And this was one of the really confusing things, too, with recovery is i had been living so long, like doing the things on my checklist, doing the things that society tells us are the right ways to live and be. And it took a really long time to figure out what am I a fuck yes for? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So it's been cool to, to learn that.
0: Now let's talk about what kind of gifts you might have received throughout the process. I know within so many challenges, we also receive gifts, you know, and I had my own experience with that. It sounds like what you're, you know, you were really busy before your checklist was full. You wanted to check things off. You said yes to almost everything. Then all of a sudden your life changes and now you're at home. You're not working. You have all this time, but you're also healing and really Mm -hmm. can't do much. But in that process, maybe not in the initial, maybe now, I don't know, but has it helped you, you know, gain clarity on like, wait, I actually want to go this direction now. And I don't think I would have gone this direction if it weren't for this.
1: Absolutely. And I've always been, you know, a glass half full person. So even early on in my recovery, I was determined to find like good in all of the pain and difficulty. The things that come to mind right away are my my brain injury community, the people who I've met and shared so much with. The Love Your Brain Foundation mm-hmm. is a 501c that brings brain-friendly yoga and mindfulness to people affected by TBI. Being a part of that community, um, having an opportunity to attend their program, to attend their retreat, go through their teacher training mm-hmm. has been so special and so grateful for for the work that they do because mm-hmm. I always thought of yoga. Yeah, I tend to practice power flow and, mm-hmm. and all of that and yoga with, you know, brain issue is a little different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been able to experience yoga nidra and other things that are incredible, and I don't know that I would have ever tried. They might have been on my list to try, but at the very, very bottom. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: If you back before, if you had an hour, you probably were at a sweaty flow practice, right? Yeah. And now, you know, and that's one of the biggest practices I shared with my private client when she was just a few months out of her surgery with a brain injury was yoga nidra. And that was one of the most healing practices for her. So, yeah, let's talk about what a yoga practice looks like for someone healing a TBI.
1: In the beginning, you know, I just felt like an alien in my own body. Like a balancing pose was just completely inaccessible. Learning to use props. Yeah. And like really learning to use props, not just for the super bendy poses, but like using a block in order to to elevate my upper body a bit. Like even in tabletop, having blocks under my hands so that my chest wasn't parallel to the floor. I had an incline because yeah. any, any change in, you know, where <laughs> my head and my heart were mm-hmm. was pretty difficult.
0: Were forward folds out?
1: <sighs> Completely out. I still can do it. I still get very dizzy. I still have maybe some fear around it too, because I get so, it almost feels like I'm about to faint. So I'll do it by a wall. Always make sure that there's something there because it's just a really weird feeling. It's just very disorienting. And I'm sure that there is, like, a technical explanation for what's happening, but... Would it um, be
0: um, any postures where your head is lower than your heart in an inversion?
1: Yeah, so, like, a supported bridge, for example, that's fine. But, say, a shoulder stand. Yeah. Yeah. So, a lot of... And really, like, instead of a flow, a very static class, um, a yin class or restorative yoga, if I'm able to move slow and have support, then that's, that's what's most helpful. Slow,
0: steady, not fast movements, props, which I'm a huge fan of props. I really am. My goal is to normalize the use of props Mm -hmm. in all sorts of classes, flow classes, and just to really help people. It's not a crutch, right? Like props can help support you so beautifully. And I know that people feel less than when they end up using a prop. And that's my goal is to like bash that thought. and just grab all the props. You know, they're awesome.
1: We need to end the prop stigma. (laughs) We really do. We really do. But you know what? It's so funny that you say that because the way I would relate that to like yoga off the mat is – I had a lot of props, (laughs) so to speak, and I didn't want to use them.
0: Before or after?
1: Before, yeah, before, well, and after, yeah. Yeah. So it's funny how like, you know, what shows up on my yoga mat of not wanting to use props showed up in my regular life too. Like I, you know, would rather do something myself than use a prop, like ask my husband to go to the grocery store.
0: Yeah, Ooh, that's a good way to look at it because I'm right there with you. What we do on our mat is such a reflection of how we are in our day off of our mat. And yeah. that's such a great thing to look at. I know so many students that type A, I want to be in control. I can do it on my own.
1: Don't uh-huh. want to use the
0: props. <laughs> and that's exactly how they are
1: off Yeah, the that was um that's probably why I really hated yoga in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Because like, again, I was, okay, I'm going to do the yoga Olympics and <laughs> win all the prizes yeah, for never having a prop. Whereas my life was like that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it creates a lot of stuff. So that's actually what's taken me to my mission now. And again, it's like, try to look at it glass half full. I'm not capable of doing the work that I did pre injury. I've been able to see through this that there are probably millions, but at least thousands, hundreds of thousands of people just like me who experience something like what I did, you know, just a random day heading to work. <laughs> and suddenly the universe throws a curveball, and you really have to find a way to change. Working with clients throughout all the years, people always want to change. You know, they have a goal. They have this thing. They always want to change and quite frankly, rarely do because change is hard for humans.
0: (laughs) It's hard. It's scary. It's terrifying. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All of those things. And you know what I went through, like, and this is where I got help. I realized I didn't want to live if I couldn't have my old life. And I didn't have control over having my old life. You know, I was doing everything I could do to get my old life back. And that's where I was like, okay, I have to change. I need help. And that's when I started therapy. That's where I got the skills to help me learn how to adapt and how to look for the possibility. Because if I were still two years out, Just completely not willing to change, you know, and just wanting my old life back, I would be in a complete different place. And unfortunately, I've, I know many people who've also ended up in that, you know, whether from lack of support or not being willing to pick up the block and use the block in their practice. So, really opened my eyes, showed me an enormous need that we have. And because while I was going through this, again, like I looked fine. Most people had no idea what was going on. There was a part of me that was proud of that. Okay, even though I'm legally blind and this and that, like I still have my shit together. <laughs> but it was also a very suffocating, like a prison because it was a huge obstacle. Everything that I had built up through my life suddenly worked against me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wow,
0: it's really powerful. And I really thank you for sharing that about how hard it was when you started thinking about, I don't want to live if I can't have my old life. You were open enough to going to get help and getting therapy, and that's so important. And, you know, mental health is so challenging with chronic pain or an injury. Mm -hmm. And I can understand. Exactly. Right? When you said that, I get it. You know, now that I'm thinking about this, Mallory, I think we were both in like a really hard place about the same time. The last two years, I'm like coming out of it now, and have been the last few months. But maybe it was like two ish years ago, year and a half is when I got bad injury from a surgery, and I got frozen shoulder. Mm -hmm. And like, I had like a dead arm, literally hanging there and in so much pain for months and months and months. And I remember trying to still teach yoga through it because I was like, I'm a yoga teacher. This is who I am. My identity was so attached, teaching my group classes. And because it was invisible, people were so used to me raising my arms while I was teaching and I couldn't raise my right arm. I couldn't do anything with my right arm. I remember putting it in a sling one day when I tried to go back to teach my first class after my surgery. And then I saw myself in the mirror while I was teaching. I thought, this is so fucked up why am I here? What am I doing here? Like I was trying to push through to be normal again. I wanted that sling to help create that sense of students seeing that there was something wrong. You know what I mean? And then I saw it and then I put in my notice and I left my classes and I gave myself time to heal at home. But it was very hard. And I can connect to exactly what you're saying because I had to grieve a lot of my career my movement my pain every day you're in pain you're reminded in that process i learned when you're in pain i mean it reduces serotonin levels in your brain so you are in the cycle of pain and depression and i was mm-hmm. in that cycle and i ended up getting help as well and i even went on antidepressant to Me help too. pull myself out <laughs> yeah and i think it's too. So important 100 percent. and i'm proud to yeah. say it you know I was embarrassed at the time being a yoga and mindfulness teacher. Well, I couldn't get myself out. And that was really hard to say, to admit to.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that. And I relate to everything that you said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's amazing. One of the things that I went through when I decided to go on an antidepressant, because my neurologist recommended it, really like right off the bat. And I was very resistant. Like, I'm not depressed. (laughs) I'm not, no. But I had to look at my resistance to accepting help. We're so lucky that modern medicine gives us tools. If I'm the only person in my way of getting help, I had to look at my resistance to that. And that's what helped me. That's how yoga helped me to be okay with taking antidepressants and to still be on them today because I realized in a pandemic, and while I'm still recovering, this is probably helping me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, 100%, yeah. And I think too, I appreciate you saying that as well, because I think that again, there's another stigma that needs to get bashed around antidepressants, you know? Mm -hmm. They are so helpful in certain circumstances, and I've seen it help so many people in beautiful ways to help aid along with other healing modalities you're doing. It's not relying on one thing only. It's a combination Mm -hmm. of mindfulness, meditation, antidepressant
1: that works for you. Sleep, good food and nutrition, right? I'd love to share something that one of my friends mentioned in relation to antidepressants. She was someone who had been vocal about mental health. And so I knew she was a safe person to ask. She's also a yoga teacher. And I asked her about it. I said, look, like, I don't want to take this. What are your thoughts on it? And she said, this is the way I look at it, that if I had a cast on my leg and needed to take medication to help heal my leg, I would do it, no questions asked. She's like, let's pretend you have a cast on your brain and this is what you need or for mental health. When I was able to look at it like just any other thing, it was like, that makes sense. I
0: love that, that's a good way to look at it.
1: Yeah, and I think if more people can see it that way, I think we'll help everybody heal.
0: A hundred percent. Yeah. Thanks, What exactly do you do now with your clients and how, what kind of work are you doing now? I mean, I also understand coronavirus. So like, are you doing most of your work online?
1: So it's been a weird year, right, for everyone. Um, I had just gotten back into my office working with clients nearly full-time during spring training. And then coronavirus happened and the gym shut down. So I did take everything online for, I believe it was eight weeks that we were out of commission. The gyms reopened and headed back to work with, you know, new changes to everything. in my office cuz i i mostly do assisted stretching with clients. You can't stand 6 feet apart and stretch yeah. someone. <laughs> yes. So i went back to that and then the gym shut down again. I'm back to doing online and then i do some at-home sessions, so i'll go to a client's house and stretch them. I haven't gotten back to teaching yoga yet. Pre-injury, i taught workshops for the National Academy of Sports Medicine haven't gotten back to that. And then, you know, with COVID, not sure when that'll be an option again, either. What my brain injury has helped me with, though, it's helped me to become resilient with COVID and the constant changing situation that we have. Again, it's not something I have control over. So I have to learn to adapt. 100%.
0: Yeah, everything is just shifting right now. And We just have to just keep going with it.
1: (laughs) So I I launched a mindful movement program in April and that's online and it's 30 days long. That was really fun to create, help other people who were suddenly at home 24 seven and, you know, Feeling like they were going to lose it. So I've taken a lot of things online and um, writing a book. Just kind wow. of seeing, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I'm almost That's done with it. it.
0: That's really big. That's so cool. <laughs> cool. Thanks. Is the book about your experience and what you just have shared. Yeah,
1: yeah, okay. it is. Yeah, because again, like the thing that got me through a lot of the really hard days was. Okay, if I can get to the other side of this and my story helps one person, then it'll be worth it. So that's why I do speak out about everything. And I realized, you know, with with writing a book, hopefully I'll be able to reach more people like you or like me. And um, because I was just looking for anything that could possibly help when I was going through it. Like someone give me some kind of assurance that it's not just me.
0: That's awesome. That's so exciting. Congrats on that. I'm really inspired by you. Really. Thank you. Awesome. I'm very excited for that.
1: Thank you so much. I'm excited too. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay. Since you just shared that you've taken things online and you have online programs, so this podcast is for yoga teachers. We've got yoga teachers live with us right now, and I know so many teachers are wondering Ah, how do I take my business online Mm -hmm. you know this huge shift and a lot of the conversation in this group is about taking your yoga business online so I know that that's like a massive conversation so what would you because I know you're doing it and you're doing it so beautifully what would you 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 say is a tip that has helped you pivot into the online space
1: Oh, the biggest one, so much like our um, to use a prop or not discussion. I had to get out of my way. I always imagined that when I did take things online, it would be professionally done. I would hire someone to do all this for me and make it look beautiful. And I had to let that go. I had to put my perfectionism aside yeah. <laughs> and just do it Yeah. Um, and just do it. I was doing Instagram lives for a little bit just to get comfortable being on camera and teaching. Now I've done client sessions via Zoom, you know, filming, like that's completely out of my comfort zone. But yeah, just deciding, okay, this is what I'm going to do and going with it. I actually gave up my office because it was like, you know what? This is probably going to be here with us for a while. And so rather than being halfway in, halfway out, I'm going to go full steam ahead online. Because again, at the end of the day, I don't have control over whether the gyms or the yoga studio is open again anytime soon. I just have control over what I'm doing. So the one tip would be just do it.
0: <laughs> I love that because that's, that's last week's episode is start messy. Perfectionism is paralyzing. So for anyone listening, go back to that episode and listen, because that's exactly what Mallory is sharing is just start and it's not going to be perfect.
1: And I have to say, I watched that and loved it. Like I listened to it and um, it's so true. And it's something I have to remind myself of every single day. Like even with this podcast, I just have to show up and be messy. I. Same. I'm I'm
0: learning everything (laughs) as I go. And every day I'm like, what am I doing? Okay, it's going to be messy. Just keep rolling
1: Mm -hmm. with the mess. Yep. And it's so inspiring. I'm so glad, so grateful that you're doing this. So thanks for for your courage,
0: yeah, thank you, Mallory. And mm-hmm. another thing I see from you taking your yourself online is you're showing up consistently on social media, and I see that, and that's important. You know, to if you want to have an online presence, you got to show up a lot and show up consistently where people can see you, see your message, hear your voice, see your photos, be reminded of who you are and what you do. And I think you're doing that really well.
1: Thank you. And it's been, um, again, like perfectionism got in my way with being consistent in the past, yeah. <laughs> but it was a promise I made to myself in January was, hey, I know what I want to do down the road. And I also realize that I have to do those baby steps to get there. So even just making myself post once a day, and now it's like, now I enjoy it. Now I look forward to it. But January 1st, I hated social media. <laughs>
0: I feel you. (laughs) That's awesome. You have to learn through it, grow
1: through it. One thing that really helped me with that is picking one platform. I also thought to myself, I would do Facebook and YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and be consistent on all platforms. That wasn't going (laughs) to happen. So I just picked Instagram to be consistent with, and then maybe down the road, pick another platform. But for any teachers who want to get consistent on social, that's the best tip that I have: is find one, and and then
0: and after you've got that one down and rolling, and there's momentum and people know you there, then it's yeah, I'm a hundred percent with. Yeah. You. Then you can expand into another platform. Like for me, this this Facebook group is an and the podcast is a new platform that I've added after being consistent on Instagram for a long time. Yeah. yeah, so I love yeah. that. That's awesome. All right. Well, where can people find you? How can people connect with you? What's your Instagram handle? What's your website?
1: Instagram is at Dr. Foxy fit. So it's D-R-F-O-X-Y-F-I-T. And my website is befoxyfit.com. I love blogging. I started my blog in January. And I post three times a week. So you can find my blog on my website too. And I post about mindfulness, movement, and of course, Lululemon because I'm a Lululemon addict. <laughs>
0: awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, this was awesome. I loved having you here today. I really appreciate you showing up. I really do.
1: Thank you so much. This was such a great time. I'm so appreciative of the safe space that you're offering and all the good that you're bringing to the world. Thank
0: you so much for listening in today. I'd love to stay connected with you in between episodes. You can find me on Instagram at taylor underscore ray yoga and join the free private yoga teacher circle Facebook group, which is full of some pretty awesome and badass yoga teachers.